Hey everybody, this is Vinny Shashelsky, and this is the Fit Musician One, Episode Five. Um, I'm here with my good friend, uh, amazing musician, uh, fantastic uh, father and husband, good human being, Mike Haynes. If uh, if you heard anything, let's see, mid '80s through today, out of Nashville that had horns on it, Mike is likely on it and doing a fantastic job. He's uh, an amazing person. <laughs> Also a real estate agent and um, a VRBO guy at this point. Um, you can get in touch with us uh, via Instagram and Facebook at FitMusician1, um, FitMusician1.com. And then if you have an email, Vinny at FitMusician1.com. We are here to talk about nutrition, activity, uh, and fitness, um, let's see, nutrition, uh, lifestyle, fitness, all that kind of good stuff as it relates to playing and creating uh, music. Um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Mike. It's going to be awesome. And uh, this is the Fit Musician One, and we'll be back in a moment. Hey everybody, Vinny Shashelsky, the Fit Musician One. I'm here with Mike Haynes. Mike, how you doing today? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I I have known Mike for probably 25 years. We met briefly. Uh, first time we met, I think, was in 1993 or four when mm. you were on tour with Michael W. Smith playing uh, trumpet. Maybe so. I think so. We yeah. were we were doing an award show over at uh, the Grand Ole Opry and. And uh, it's you and Barry and Mark and right. yeah, and yeah. you guys were chilling and I was like, hey, <laughs> I play trumpet. I want to be you when I grow up. Okay, so uh, tell us. Speaking of growing up, tell us a little about about where you grew up, Mike. I grew up in Tullahoma, Tennessee, um, which is um, about an hour and a half south of Nashville, and it's a it was a wonderful town to grow up in. There's a missile testing facility out in the woods there, a huge <laughs> one. Keep a little thing they keep out there called the largest missile testing facility in the world. And so the town was, um, had a lot of scientists, engineers, um, and the kids reflected that. So it was a very interesting environment. Growing up in the South, you had kind of a, um, an intellectual pool there. But it was a nice uh, small town to grow up in, really. Yeah, yeah good experience. Very cool. What were uh, some of your early hobbies uh, before trumpet before trumpet <laughs> can you remember back Golly, that far yeah what, what was life like before trumpet you know growing up I was um, I had the leave it to beaver life which is my, um, my mother who's still living I give her great gratitude all the time with one brother four years older um, I did nothing but really just kind of play <laughs> that's awesome. In my life, that's really, you know, uh, up until I, I had, I mean, I had some mild athletic um, desires, but basically I was just a happy-go-lucky kid. What were, what were some of your, that's, that's fantastic, what were some of your uh, um, athletic aspirations? I was, <laughs> interestingly enough, I was uh, a failed pole vaulter, high jumper, and uh, 440 relay. Really? I failed miserably at all those. I had a very good time, but was not meant nor tall enough nor strong enough. But I practiced pole vaulting. I practiced high jumping. We set up. I was on the track team. 
And um, in the seventh grade, um, they had A team and B team basketball. And um, the B team was obviously the second stringers, and the guys who could really play were the A. And I thought maybe after having played church league basketball a little bit, which I was not real great at, I would try it for the B team. And it got down to where they had chosen everyone except one last slot, myself and Gary Castile. And um, Gary won that spot, and I went into band. <laughs> so at every reunion, we'll have our 40th reunion next or two months from now. Uh, I always find Gary, and I always say thank you. Yeah, you should. For having, I think Gary's an in insurance. I think he's happy. Good. But uh, he that turned me toward music, and that was the last. Uh, that was the end of my athletic uh, endeavors as far as school. When did you decide uh, to start playing the trumpet? What does that look like? My dad was a trumpet player. He was a good trumpet player, really good. Swinging, smoking, Chet Baker, Dizzy Gillespie, loved it, uh, lived it. Um, and I heard him play enough. He stopped playing about when I was born with any regularity, but uh, the man was just a great trumpet player. So uh, my brother was a trombone player, and when my time came, I actually wanted to be an alto sax player. And my mother said, well, we have a trumpet. <laughs> and I said, you know what, you're right. Your dad, your father would love that. So thank you once again, Mom. I would have been a horrible saxophone That player. is definitely the, the universe uh, intervening there. And uh, I can I don't think you have the sensibilities to be a saxophone player. <laughs> yeah. Do you choose the instrument? Does the instrument choose you? I don't know. But I became a trumpet player, and it seems like it was the glove that always fit. And from the moment I played, it was... It was just right. And we talked about it, and for anybody who's a musician out here, Mike is, uh, you can already tell Mike's a really sweet guy. He's, he is perhaps, uh, he's definitely in the top three of my favorite humans mm. on the planet. Um, but Mike has often, uh, not often, but Mike has occasionally told me that, uh, I was like, well, how did you start? You know, what did it look like? Blah, blah. He said, well, I walked into the magic trumpet closet <laughs> and turned around and came out and suddenly I could play. So oh, it, Mike <laughs> is a nice guy, but if he wasn't, he'd be easy to hate because of the uh, incredible gift that he's been given. So you started, were you like pretty awesome right away? Um, you know, not, I would say not in seventh grade, but by eighth grade, I was, you know, it was, no, it, it did take off pretty quickly. Yeah. And what really propelled it was, um, well, I had great band director. I had a really sweet, wonderful middle school band director and, and the high school band director is the one who really transformed the program. But before I got to high school, um, we had Hughley's Music here, which was a well-known local music store, and they had one of their uh, stores burn down. And we went, for whatever reason, my family, we ended up there having going to the after-fire sale. And there was a big box of trumpet mouthpieces, and I picked one out. I think I was eighth grade, and it had these cool rings on it. It looked awesome. I said, can I have this? It was like $2. And they said, yeah. And it was a Mendez 5. It was like a bent nickel. They, nobody paid attention to what the, and, and I picked it up. I played, and I could kind of play. And Dad had a Maynard Ferguson record too, and I played it. And some high notes came out. And as soon as that happened, then that's when yeah. I started getting a little more shine, and ended up uh, the high school band director started bringing me to yeah. high school. Yeah, that that uh, that will definitely do it. My first uh, trumpet instructor, Al Carroll, who I've spoken with on several of these podcasts, uh, or about, not with, because I'm sure he's not here anymore. 
he never told me that playing high was difficult. He never told mm, me that the mm. St. Jacomes book was difficult. And we were playing out of the back of that thing when I was nine years old. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay. So um, I think that that, you know, it, it, high stuff can be attained. We know several players that when I first moved to town 25 years ago, couldn't play out of the mm, staff. That's right. And now they can play double C's. That's Jeff, right. Jeff Bailey is. Jeff is, Bailey is that, he's that totally. Principal trumpet player with the uh, Nashville Symphony and swings his, uh, his tailbone off. He is that guy. I've sat next to him when he's absolutely peeled the paint off the mm-hmm. balls with a, with a high note, but then can, can play all that really yeah. hard stuff. Okay, so then high school... Uh, the the big emphasis down there was kind of march marching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was march. We had a new band director, and yeah, it was marching band. But we had an incredible jazz band too. Nice. So we've had multiple players go on to be professional musicians. Right. Good. Multiple. Uh, who who in and amongst that do you? Uh, Steve Brewster, yep. who played with Michael David Smith and plays on you know Richard Marks and tons of records. Freddie Fox, who is a smooth jazz artist. He tours all over the world with Evelyn Champagne King as nice. his wife. Oh, yeah. You know, so Freddie was. <laughs> I just got a phone call. That won't bother <laughs> things at all. And if I start the edit right here, so <laughs> Evelyn, you know, Evelyn Champagne King is is his wife, and they. Uh, they're, they've been fabulous. They toured the world. And had, he's had a great career. Joey Lunsford, also um, alto sax player, keyboard player. Steve Noas was in the, uh, air, I think he was an Air Force band trombone player and switched to pedal steel. So, wow. yeah, we had a, we had a band director in high school who, like you were saying, never told us there was anything we couldn't do, and whether he consciously or unconsciously communicated it it was that you could do anything and we really infectiously got on his infectious train to do whatever he wanted and achieve whatever he wanted us to that's fantastic man that that is uh that's not the experience of of uh of of a lot of people and you're you're really lucky to to have had that i i like he was a great band director um and when did you know that you wanted to make music professionally you know golly some people make a big choice about that you know people there's like there's two people i found out in this life or you i'm not to be split it to black and white but those who make choices and those who follow choices and the latter sounds passive and it sounds negative, but I, I disagree. If you're following your natural instincts, I never chose to be in the music business. It chose me. Nice. I went to college. I majored in microbiology, which lasted three months. <laughs> and I was working, you know, I, I was on the marching field my freshman year and was in a band, was asked to be in a band by one of the local arrangers that still plays today. And I was in another band the jazz machine made up of studio musicians by three months into my freshman year and I I said yes and there's a there's a time and a place you just say yes and that's what I did with numerous opportunities that just kept doors opened and I listened and so I I can't say there was no definitive time it just it, it the next thing I knew I was working putting money in the bank and I was a member of the scene nice where did you uh, Where did you go to college? 
Middle Tennessee State University. I Down spent in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Yeah, five extended years there. Yeah, I yeah. like two hours from graduating. I have. I need twenty nine credits yeah. myself. Yeah, but yeah. I, I've never walked into a session here or anywhere in the whole world where somebody said, yep. "Yeah, before you play, we'd really <laughs> like to see your." Now we're not discouraging. No, we're not discouraging education. No, we're not. You've got to right, but there's once again there's what you can learn and then there's what you experience, yeah. and making those two be balanced. Uh, was important. And I, I, I was not a good student at, at, at school, and and I did not want to be. That, that's what, in hindsight, I needed a place to hang out and have fun at age 18 through 21, and drive 30 minutes to Nashville and be able to work the scene. I just didn't want to do it by myself in an apartment, so I did it in a dorm. Do you remember the first? Uh, paid recording session that you did in the I do. Okay. I got fired. Did you? I do my first. <laughs> this is how my. This is if you want to like how my career is going to go. Uh, there was there were two master sessions. It was January of my freshman year in uh, college, so it was January of 1980, um, and there was two sessions: a Monday and a Wednesday uh, master sessions for a for a publishing company, and it was basically this big band, the Jazz Machine. And I played the first sessions on Monday. I was this wet behind the ears kid just trying to keep up. But everybody was so kind I could play a few high notes. They put me on the end. The lead player at the time said, hey, man, play lead on this tune. He was in the studio. And I said, ah. And he said, yeah, you're good. I did it, and I kind of hacked it up. I really made a mess of it because I hadn't learned to read yet. And the producer of the session said, I don't want that kid coming back. So the next night was, was rehearsals for the next sessions the next day. So... I went to the rehearsals, and we played the music that the jazz machine would play for concerts we had coming up, and then they were going to rehearse the music for the session, so I got down off the stand, sat down, and another trumpet player, Ed Gaston, <laughs> who ended up being a very good friend of mine, uh, came up and played, and, you know, so, yeah, and then the, the guys in the scene really circled around me and said, the guy who fired you is kind of a jerk, and he's got some issues, and he's, kind of, he's a trumpet player. Well, and so they should have led with that. Right, so <laughs> and I so I was I was uh, grateful because I really didn't have any perspective, you know, of was this good or bad. But once again, I just said, okay, I watched the scene. I didn't need to make any big decisions. That totally blew over. And obviously, um, you know, yeah, <laughs> things did go well, even with a poor start like that. And even the trumpet player, the fellow who fired me, we ended up being friends and, and kind of working through all that. As that's well. awesome. But that's yeah, it was an interesting beginning to a long career. My first master session in Nashville, all, a lot of the heavies were there, man. Uh, it was out at Bradley's barn. Uh, I'd been in town for a month. The guy I was actually staying with was a trumpet player who had been here for a number of years and had never done a master session. And I get a yeah. call and it's like, hey, we got this TV theme song we want to do. And I was so excited, I shared it with him and yeah. he was just oh. pissed. So I go out and uh, I was a big fan, as we all are, um, still am, of Maynard. And um, I, we started playing the parts and it was uh, two or three trumpets and French horns and there were strings and there was a full sax section. And... Uh, we started playing, and we, we played through the first section, and it's kind of silent in the room, and I hear this, hey, Mr. Trumpet Player. I'm just frozen, because I'm hoping it's not me, and the guy next to me says, I think he's talking to you. So, oh my gosh, so the saxophone player says, 
how are we going to tune with you if you keep on playing with all that vibrato? Uh, oh. And it absolutely froze me, freaked me out. I did. A, I guess I did an okay job, you know, on the session. But I spent the next year uh. of my life, <laughs> uh, and I'm not kidding, man. Removing. I went home and I said, you know what? Mm. I'm going to be able to put this in and take it out when I when mm. I want to. And it and. Uh, I can play the best straight tone in the business right now. <laughs> Scared me to d- I thought, I'm never going to work again. Yeah. Was, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's pretty awesome. And, and uh, if I had to guess, um, your the number of records and recordings that you've been on is, well, it's a staggering number. It's thousands and thousands and thousands. I would guess. I, I would have to say it's probably, based on what I know, it's probably getting up toward 10,000. Yeah. Bet. Yeah. Yeah. I know you don't Maybe. pay attention no. to that stuff, but I think, <laughs> but, uh, I think but, it's yeah, kind of cool. It's interesting. Statistics no. are a reflection of something. Well, yeah. I mean, and the, the, yeah. the, the awesome thing about it and the people that are listening, although they're listening predominantly, I would imagine, for, for health and fitness and, and nutrition reasons, um, that you can come from a town that is tiny. How many people would you say were in that town? 20-something thousand. Maybe, maybe 19 at the yeah. time. I think mine was 30,000. Yeah. And then you can travel the world. Mm-hmm. And make a ton of records and be on TV and, mm-hmm. and do what you love to do and blow in a tube and make a really good living. So that's what we're trying to encourage you to do. Um, you are married to an awesome human oh, being, Gina. Yeah. How long have you been married, Mike? We have been married. It'll be 15 years in October. That just rolled right. By the way, Gina, if you're listening, that rolled <laughs> right off of his tongue without hesitation. We're he currently didn't. at 14 years, nine months, <laughs> 12 days, and 18 hours, yeah. honey. 27 I don't minutes. know the minutes. I'm right. so sorry. <laughs> um, and as a result of that union, a whole lot of awesome things have mm. happened. This, I, I don't know if I've met a, um, a more matched uh, set of people mm. for each other, you know, just really just, you know, um, if you could say the perfect person that exists for another person, that would be you and Gina. And, yeah. uh, as a result of that, you have a beautiful daughter mm-hmm. and that's Molly. Molly. How old's Molly now? Molly will be nine Monday. Yeah. And I yeah. know each day that she gets older is breaking your heart a little bit more. You would you would love it if she would stay three or four I'm years trying. old. Trying to get, just buy her those small clothes. Keep putting her in small clothes. <laughs> small fit her in. Yeah. It's awesome. So um, several things about Mike that we haven't talked about. Uh, one of which is his spiritual beliefs. The mm-hmm. other is his uh, nutrition as a, probably as a result of his uh, spiritual beliefs. And and we're going to dig into a little bit of that um, right now. So, Mike, let's say, let's call it back in the 80s when you got out of high school. Mm-hmm. You're, you're now uh, entering your career. Um, uh, were you healthy? No. <laughs> no. No, I, I was toffee, probably. Okay. You know, <laughs> I looked good. Thin on the outside, fat on the in, you know, Thin on the outside, fat on the inside. No, I, no. You know, I was a... Um, Known in my circle to be one of the worst eaters <laughs> of all of us. Pretty much. I think if I, there was a button, it would be me. I dined at gas stations on uh, bur- microwave burritos oh. and hamburgers, fast food. I, if it grew in the ground, I was like, I'm, if it's a potato or a bean, wherever the hell beans come from, uh, that's okay. But um, it's really about meat and, I ju- and as much sugar 
as I could ingest. Now, you know, in college, you know, it's 20s, you know. Uh, but, yeah, my focus was not on fitness in those early 20 years. Okay, so you're, so you're on the way to a session. You stop at a, I call it a 7-Eleven, but they don't mm-hmm. have 7-Elevens down here. But you yeah. stop at a, a gas and go. And yeah. You buy a burrito. And yeah. And then, uh, and then you warm up in the car as you drive up into yeah. the parking lot, right? Yeah, mm, yeah I never warmed up, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's another thing <laughs> that's that another makes thing. me really <laughs> mad. Um, so, uh, let's see. Were you athletic at all? Did you do anything to keep yourself in shape? Or were you just kind of naturally thin, and that's how you did your thing? You know, kind of, you know I had some natural balanced body kind of thing, you okay. might say. But I was in marching band, and I was, and I was active. I did like to move, but I didn't really, uh, I started working. I mean, I really started playing the trumpet all the time. So there would be, I was in marching band for five years in college, four or five years in college. Um, But outside of that, I didn't have any kind of fitness program other than just being an active person. Let's kind of face it, though, in the marching band, didn't they just, they stick you on the 50-yard line surrounded by beautiful flag girls. There's the truth coming out. Yes, there's the truth. Yeah. That, that if that's your form of activity, it wasn't really much. I had to get to the field, right? Exactly. Said, did you ever drink um, alcohol much? Not much. Never my thing. Okay. No, I, I mean I. Uh, yeah. No. I in drum corps I had a few, and that and I had way too many on my first drum corps band camp, which I was in the Blue Stars in '79, and uh, that turned me off yeah. for about. 12 to 14 years. That's really good. It, that's was, a, it was a good, bad first that's experience. That's probably for, for the best. Though. Yeah, it was for uh, the best. That's no probably doubt. for no the doubt. best. So no, not, not really my bad. When did, you, uh, when did you start to turn the corner, do you think, the first time uh, as far as your fitness and your, your diet? Yeah, you know what? I think it was 88, 87 or 88, um, and I was dating a string player who's still session player here in town lovely person wonderful woman who was a runner and some fitness nutrition focus some uh but she really became a runner and i remember being on a an orchestra session out at benson recording studio where we used to do a lot of these big dates and stand she was in the string section i remember standing up and looking at her and pointing at her and saying I'm going to be a runner. And she said, and she's really, because we probably talked about it. I said, I am. I just, you know, I had that. Vinny and I have talked about being obsessive, compulsive, and I am. I, I don't know if I'm compulsive. I'm obsessive more than compulsive. But I knew, I said, yeah. And so, man, I got Runner's World Magazine. I got, um, oh, the, there's a great series, The Running Doctor. Is it called The Running Doctor? Um a man who t- doctor who turned his life around through running wrote many wonderful books and the shoes and I got into it and I got a trainer and I met with my trainer once a week for a year and he wrote out running plans and we meet him at the track I did the whole thing so that lasted and that started 5k's 10k's the most I ever ran was half marathon and I did in my life I probably did seven or between seven and ten half marathons what was your best time I think I average my, my in a long in a two and a half because I'm large. I'm two right now. I'm you know I'm carrying a few extra. I'm two twenty five from you know, um, ten minutes a mile. So ten if I if I could average ten minutes um, a ten minute mile, for thirteen point one for me that was my form of success in three Ks. 
I mean, 5Ks, three miles, 3.1 miles, I would do, I could do seven and a half minutes. I did that one time. But, you know, I just totally wanted to die. Nice. I'm not built for, I'm not a distance runner. If you saw me, I'm not wildly a uh, large person, but my, I am not made for distance running. Yeah. It didn't mean I couldn't do it. So I had to approach it differently. But that really was coming back to, you know, you know, uh, the violinist influence, and that's really what started. So you were kind of, uh, this has happened to me in my life a couple of times, you were kind of, uh, uh, maybe uh, a part of it was in an effort to spend a little bit more time with her, maybe you could run and then you could hang out. You could hang out, and it was, we were doing our, you know, we yeah, we were we were together five years, so we kind of wound our lives, and she had a, she was definitely, a, you mentioned spirituality, she was an in, very much an influencer spiritually for me as well, opened me up to not only teachings or you might say books and so forth but teachers as well so yeah she was an influential that's a that's a fantastic transition who's running this interview anyway mike uh, (laughs) just kind of alluded to spirituality and and uh and uh when you're a buddhist Mm -hmm. zen buddhist Mm -hmm. zen buddhist Mm -hmm. um when did this start to come into your consciousness and tell me about your journey toward Toward this, and that's like a whole pile. I uh, know so. we could do a no, but I'll do a yeah. <laughs> the short version. Um, yeah, the journey. You know, uh, raised Methodist in a wonderful environment, um, and then went to college, and and I was very active in Methodist church growing, and very um, um, interested in spirituality, connected to spirit. I always felt, have always felt that way as a kid, the mystical magic of, of uh, the universe and universal mind. Went to college, began my expanding my mind more <laughs> and more, sometimes needing to bring it back in a little bit after too much expansion. Um, and then, um, yeah, my time with the violinist, you know, in that relationship was... Uh, was where I came in contact with what you might call new age teachings, new age philosophy. That was the '80s, so there was that. There were there was a a, a real erupting of all of these uh, new ways of thinking, um, and in I met uh, a therapist, Retta Lawler, Sanchi Retta Lawler, who is a therapist and a, a Buddhist teacher. She's a Roshi. She's actually the highest level teacher, which is very, 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 very difficult to obtain. Um, I met her in the late 80s and did some uh, personal work retreats. So my, my so getting to, you know, my spiritual journey kind of went from traditional to a journey inward um, and did quite a bit of group therapy these long, intense weekends that didn't have much to do with Buddhism. They were m- more about being their interpersonal work. She started doing, this teacher started doing meditation retreats as well. So, of course, because I loved the teacher and loved everything she was about, I started doing the sitting. And when I sat down, this a big component of Zen Buddhism is seated meditation, what's called zazen, on a cushion, motionless, and you s- with your eyes half-masked. Um, once I sat down, I, it, was, I, I, it was the most comfortable home relaxed it was where I was supposed to be so I had when I and when I read the teachings when I started reading various teachings on the sign one particular book being the way of the peaceful warrior by Dan Millman 
which has a lot of Buddhist principles and thoughts wound into it. Uh, the Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle, which was a little few years later. Lots of Buddhist themes. They're shared. They're not just Buddhist. They're just shared by traditions, but Buddhism seems to put a point on them. All the hair on the back of my neck would stand up when I read that. My five bells would go off, as I say, and that for me is for any person. What are you drawing to? And these are the five internal, these are, you know, your spiritual bells going off that are telling you this is the direction to go. So I followed that, uh, I follow. I went through some of that. I did the sitting with um, with Retta and had done some retreats here. And, the, and by this time I had gone from one relationship to, I had been in a couple relationships. I'm no longer with the violinist. I was with a, another woman and then I was in another long-term relationship with a woman. And that last one, most of mine ended painfully, as <laughs> most relationships can, um, which has been the greatest teacher for me. And when I ended that last relationship uh, before my marriage, it was painful. And that's when I reached a little deeper into my own personal practice. And that's when I knew that uh, Zen Buddhism was the path I was going to choose to take. Coming back to choice. Yeah. One of the few choices I've made, and I've made a few choices in my life, but one of them was to be, you have to drop anchors sometimes. And for some of us, we can meander along, and I learned that there was a time to drop an anchor, and that's what led me to, to that. Nice, that was a great way of yeah. explaining it. I was right there with you. I was flying in that, uh, on that magic carpet <laughs> there with you. So uh, as a result of that, and in, in relation to, um, I guess what I would say to that is, um, the healthier that you are on the inside, the easier it is to be healthy on the outside mm. and really vice versa. I mean, those things just work in concert with yeah. each other. When you feel good physically, you feel good mentally. When you feel good mentally, it's easier to feel good physically. Yeah. Uh, the runner's high. Did you ever get the runner's oh high? Oh my gosh. Yeah, you know, did you like it? It's incredible. You know, and the, and the, the release of when you release yourself into your exercise and then the and then creative mind comes in, yeah. coupled with this incredible euphoria. I mean, it's it is. It's just incredible. It's you, amazing. You, it's awesome. you can really get a lot of stuff done, uh, especially if it's a solitary, if it's running, or if it, even if you're running with a group, but you're inside of yourself. Uh, with me, it's cycling, and and mm -hmm. uh, boy, I can just I got a plan for world peace and. Uh, right. Uh, I just haven't written it down on a piece of paper yet. But I, I figured it out on my bike for sure. Okay. Yeah. So as a result of that, as a result of your journey, you became a vegetarian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and briefly, do you guys say nothing that has a mother? Is that what yeah. you say? Yeah. Or everyone, you know, once again, black and white, there's all kinds of varying yeah, terms sure. of it. But yeah, some of the ways we delineate, just Gina, my wife, and Molly, we're raising Molly vegetarian. Um, Gina's been a vegetarian for 20 years, and I've been a vegetarian for 30. So yeah, the way we define it is if it had a face, if it had a mother, or if it can recoil from your touch. Because you know those, those little those mussels and sure. oysters yeah. and shrimp, and they, they, can, they got those little yeah. hairs they can pull yeah. back. So if yeah. it can go, eh, uh-uh. Right. Then and, and as Alan Watts, I think it was Alan Watts, I can't remember who said. He said every time I cut into a potato, I listen, but I haven't heard anything. Yet. <laughs> so I still feel quite, you know. And and, and on that uh, on that line, you know, I mean, because I was a bow hunter, deer hunter, small games hunter um, earlier in my life, and I was hunting 
focused. Um, and of course now could, you know, I take as many creatures as I can outside in the house whenever we have an insect. I don't want to take life, but it does, you know, it's, it's, I can eat an apple. If I hold an apple in my left hand, I want to eat it. And if I'm, I've got a cow and I'm petting the cow in the right hand, I just don't want to kill the cow. I <laughs> eat the cow. You know? And if a, if, if a person can pick a, an apple and eat it, you should be able to kill your own cow. So that I might get a T-shirt that says something like that. That's you know, a good so. one. Hey, we'll put it on the website and sell it here. Right. Yeah, we'll do You're going to eat it? you got to kill it. Yep. So, and yeah, anyway, sorry, it was a long answer. And, and I think that that is, you know, there's, there's going to be some people that talk about, like, uh, the deer population here in Tennessee and, and how devastating it can be to uh, to mm -hmm. the farmers and their livelihood and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's a whole yeah. there's a whole road you can go down sure. there. But it's a it's a decision and obviously yeah. it's sticking because it's you've been a vegetarian for more than half of your life. More than half of my Okay, life. so um, you know, there's a lot of things. I mean, you can be a lacto-vegetarian. Mm -hmm. You can be a lacto-ovo-vegetarian. Right, you can be a exactly. pescatarian. Right. You can be a, you know, you can eat fish. You can do, There's right. different degrees of it. So whatever whatever path you decide, a lot of people will start by eliminating uh, red meat. And that's what I did. And then they'll bump back to chicken and pork. Yep. And then they'll bump back to fish, fish. and seafood. And then, and then they, they just keep. Yeah. And then they just keep going. You keep. So you have found a way to get everything you need to function on an incredibly mm. high level, to focus in sessions, to focus through your other career of being a, a real estate agent, which, mm -hmm. by the way, you're equally as good at as, as your trumpet playing. I've mm -hmm. uh, bought and sold many houses with Mike, and mm -hmm. it's a... It's a wonderful experience. He makes you feel real good about spending a half a million dollars. <laughs> it's really, really good. Which is, a, which is, a, you know, that's a talent. Is man. that my job? That is a, that's, a, that's a talent. So, um, so you guys uh, don't eat any animal protein. So, um, just tell, cheese and eggs. So you're, so you're yeah, lactose. We eat cheese and eggs. Okay, cheese yeah. and eggs. Cheese and eggs. Okay. Right. Vegan is a, the whole step to vegan is another universal leap i have great respect i've tried it but i keep coming back to you know my own desire it's pure it's purely it's not a health-based nutrition base it's a desire for ah, soy cheese, cheese sucks, oh, man. It, it just have not nailed it but when they nail it yeah i'll be on board All right, okay. but half and half is still half and half yeah, yeah. that's true and we yeah. did have a coffee before we the before did. the show and and mike had a little shot of yeah. half and half yeah. okay so um now you are on a journey now so you were you were vegetarian, somewhat vegetarian during your running career. Uh, had not quite turned that corner okay, yet. All it, was right, at, okay. it was at, it was kind of in the middle of that. All right. Okay. Um, have you found anything over your let's call it thirty years mm -hmm. um, that was lacking nutrition wise because you didn't eat animal protein? You know, I don't. I don't think so. The only thing I've ever and this is purely scientific reading is that I might have been short on B12. Okay. But I take a B12 supplement in the case that blood work I've had through the years has always been spectacular. Can I interject one thing? Please which do. Is, you know, on why I became vegetarian, which is a big question. I don't know if we, we might have already passed that kind of that deal. Um, I became vegetarian. It was not initially spiritually connected at all. Although, although you, now you say the reading I had been doing and what I was delving into, uh, vegetarianism does tend to be a, a part of that uh, 
of a lot of those ways of thinking, Buddhist, Eastern thinking. I, but I became a vegetarian out of fear, out of the, once again, the unfortunate greatest motivator for most people, and including myself, fear, fear of death. Because at age 29, I had cholesterol of 310. And my, my doctor looked at me and said, you're going to, your parents have, both have cardiovascular disease and you're going to die young. And it scared the crap out of me. So that's when I came back and I took it down to 190 within seven months through dietary changes of removing red meat. And then after that, then I, chicken fish, it all fell away within a year. Then the spiritual aspect or, you know, along the same journey, it started rising. The component where, you know, of, of looking at, once again, looking into the eyes of an animal and not, you know, not wanting to kill it, not wanting to eat it. And so it started, my compassion grew, but I, just to be real honest, I became a vegetarian because I was really, really scared. I think that that, you know, um, that's one of the rare occasions where a decision based in fear actually works <laughs> because it generally in life, if you, you know, God, I'm afraid I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get fired from that gig if I don't do this. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, any, any, most decisions made in fear, but that's a good one. That's and a good it, point. And I like the order. I really like the order that it went because to me, um, your spiritual awakening has been since, really since you were a very young person. Mm -hmm. and, and when you went, when you were in uh, elementary school and junior high and high school, it was Methodist, mm -hmm. right? Mine was mm -hmm. Southern Baptist, so mm -hmm. um, we never, we, never <laughs> we didn't dance together. Yeah, we, didn't, we didn't dance literally together. or figuratively. We, bo <laughs> we, we both drank, but we didn't talk about it. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, and then through college, and then through this experience with these with these very influential and wonderful people um, yeah. in your life, it's uh, it's uh, a yeah. pretty cool thing, and I like that. I like the way that goes, and so, you know, if you're getting, if as you're listening. If you're getting, if your heart's being tugged on, uh, in that direction, um, it, it, it's so funny. Chicken or the egg, it doesn't matter how it happens. But I think that that, knowing what I know about you, I think that that was a good, uh, a good way to go. Okay. Yeah. So nothing. Uh, back to nothing lacking. Um, you've been able to take care of all the essential amino acids yeah. and, and you know there's 27 of those things, and you can mm -hmm. by food combining get all of those through a vegetarian diet, although mm -hmm. some people would disagree with that, but you really have to time it. You know, you don't have to eat, you don't have to eat it all at one meal, but at some point during the day or during the week, you need to get those, those things in your body. Mm -hmm. So there's probably a bunch of books that would really help somebody who was thinking about making this leap and we'll do some research. Yeah. I'll do some research we can with put Mike. A list and, up. Yeah, we'll put, yeah, we'll put a list up in the in the show comments and on the Facebook uh, page, and then we'll talk about them at the end of this end of this uh, episode. Um, so focus in a session, um, which which having sat next to you on multiple multiple sessions, I know that you have an incredible amount of that. Um, are you, uh, what's your, what's your eating schedule? Are you kind of, are you still kind of eating on the run? Are you, st do you, are you a little more structured? How's that working? Structure, you know, structured. And I'm, uh, you've had Dr. Tiff, uh, on your podcast before, and I'm still following the sage wisdom of Dr. Tiff. And I count my macros 
in the in the My Fitness Pal app. Um, but I, I yeah I don't um, I'm not eating on the run. I'm staying in an ordered no more than four hours time between eating. I'm not a grazer. It doesn't work for me. I do. St I start my day. We, Gina and I, both start our day with a protein shake. Mm -hmm. So we get, you know, 38 grams, I think, in a per scoop. You know, and peanut butter. You know, healthy fats. Cup and a half of blueberries, banana. So I, I always have that. That always starts my day. Yeah. And I've moved it. And I, this is this is me talking about what works for me, which I have to preface this because I never thought this was wisdom, but I am pushing my first meal back in the day, later, yeah. and it has been working for me. You know, that, that, that kind of lends itself to the um, intermittent fasting. You know, mm, a, lot, right. a, a lot of people say, you know, I, I, um, I'm doing 10 hours. Well, I'm like, you're sleeping for eight, so, right. I mean, come on, dude, really? <laughs> but um, we, have a, we have a buddy. Um, do you know Trent Austin out in um, Kansas City? Trent was up in uh, Boston, uh, Austin. Shout out to Austin Custom hey. Brass in Kansas City. He's, <laughs> Trent's an amazing player and amazing human being, and he's on his own journey. And he'll be on one of these podcasts one day. But shout out to that. We'll put a link. And if you're, if you're in the market for a trumpet, he's the guy to go to. They, they take care of a lot of stuff. But Trent has been experimenting around through his journey with intermittent fasting, and sometimes he'll go till noon. Mm. You know, like yeah. from eight o'clock at night. That's until what I've noon. been doing. Well, that well, uh, yeah. not not the same. I'm not. Um, my, I'm still doing more late night eating. Okay. But it's, what I was struggling with was not eating at night. I like to nibble at night. And what Dr. Tiff at least shared with me was that you just eat them however you want. If you want to eat them late, there's not, research doesn't seem to show that it adds a fat, you know, as long as you do it in the time. Well, I just like to eat at night, and I would get to 9 o'clock at night, and I want something, but I've used it all up because I started at 9 in the day. So now when I push it back to noon, I'm one of those people who does function better on intermittent fasting. When some people get irritable and they get weird, you know, they, it doesn't function. Me, I get clearer, I get lighter, I get more active, I get happier. I've had half of my shake this morning because we did this podcast around noon, ish um and that was enough to, but i feel lighter so it, it allowed me to extend my day of eating i can eat something at nine o'clock at night ten o'clock at night fits in my numbers go to bed and not feel like personally i have uh uh, had to give it much up. That's good. It's interesting. It's, it's and, new. And, That's and, new to and, me. And eating late, um, again, based on my information, eating late, it's really all about what you eat. If you eat at midnight and you're having, let's say, cottage cheese, like I would have cottage cheese, cucumbers, tomatoes, a little basil, and maybe some artichoke hearts. Mm -hmm. and, that, and I would just be like, I would just eat that yeah. whole thing. That's got really a lot of essential things that you need to rebuild and rest your body. That, that cottage cheese mm. is kind of going to get you chilled a little bit and it's going to put you in a state where your body is, is feeding off the food that you ate. Now, if you eat a half a pizza, mm. you're going to be a fat ass. That's right. You know, so it's it's really about choices. And uh, and uh, Dr. Tiff, who was yes uh, who was yesterday's or two days ago, and she was episode four. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and give that a listen because she is a just a wealth of information mm -hmm. and a real game changer. Okay, so you did feel like you needed to be focused for this, so you had a little bit of a meal. Um, 
And um, let's talk about, uh, one of the things I really dig about my life is that my wife, Beth, who is the most awesome uh, person on the planet, mm. in my opinion, um, she's, she's a partner with me in my journey. Uh, she uses the, the, the fitness app, you know. Yeah. I, and, you know, today is my 1600th oh, day of tracking. Right. In a row. You make us all feel better. <laughs> I'm trying to motivate you, but you should feel better. <laughs> um, so, That's awesome, by the way. And I know that you, and thank you, and I know that you and Gina are, are in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in this love. Yeah, right. Um, and so having that support system... You know, just kind of reminds you to reel it in and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. We did the, when we first went to Dr. Tiff, which was four years ago, we both followed the plan uh, to the T. And now, and Gina, I always say, I'm Buddhist and Gina is the Buddha. <laughs> you know, some of us, some of us, some of you, you know, some, of us are, some are Christians and some are Christ. Like, you know, some of us are struggling to meet these and some people naturally. Yeah. And Gina is just has a natural middle of the road kind of approach to life. So um, I have to, you know, remember my walk that makes me healthy and happy uh, and try to stick to it. Or I, I swerve all over the road trying to, you know, and make a mess of things. Gina just lives her life and generally speaking is down the road. So these days she's not following this much. She's strictly vegetarian as we both are, but I'm following more of the counting numbers and she's not. She just, she just, you know, she lives a moderate life, which yeah. I know nothing of. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Again, the trumpet player yeah. thing. Um, okay. So, uh, let's see, where do we go from here? Um, are you, what, what's your activity level these days? Um, I had, a, I was telling Vinny earlier, I had a little tear in a calf, but my routine that I love so much that works for me is walking, um, at a lake we have here called Radnor Lake that has two really good hills. It's gorgeous. So it's hiking, which I never really thought I'd be a hiker, but I don't want to go back to running. Is just kind of the pounding on my body, age, and so forth, and then my late fifties. So, so, you know, I think I just feel like I did enough of that specific, and I really enjoy being in the woods and the walking. It takes me about an hour and a half. It is intensely uh, satisfying. It's easy to get to because it's there's a convenience factor. I can be from my house to it quickly, and I can be from Music Row and at work. I can be to it quickly, which I think is real important for a lot of people. So. That, and I do light weights, um, and I would like to push more into the weights area. But for right now, it's, it's getting out, fresh air, hard walking about three to four times a week, um, and light weights. Good. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit more, just so people have an understanding, because I forgot to talk about this earlier. Mm-hmm. I think I might have mentioned it, but... Uh, uh, predominantly a trumpet player for a really, really long time through mm-hmm. the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Um, what prompted you to, uh, I think I know the answer to this, but what prompted mm-hmm. you to move into the real estate game? Because you you're, you're basically a full-time trumpet player and a full-time real estate agent. Um, what, what and a mastering of, engineer. Well, I was going to do that next, but oh yes, yeah, great. Yeah. So that was kind of first was yeah. the master. It's on reason I. So you did trumpet and then you started mastering. mastering. Yeah, and that that started, yeah, in the nineties. 
So give everybody an idea of what that, one of the things that I, I love about Mike and playing with him is that no matter where he's sitting in the section, um, he brings a tremendous amount of musical, mm. uh, it's, it's, it's not just knowledge, it's soul. That's what I would call it. Um, and, and approaches the music in a way that is uh, loving and kind, always serving the music. Hey guys, what do you think about maybe mm. we do this this way instead of play the damn note on four <laughs> short? That's more my thing. If you don't play that note on on four short, I'm gonna yin yang. I'm gonna exactly. break, you, break your leg, and Mike is much nicer about it. But um, so just briefly explain what mastering a record is yeah mastering a record is the final process when someone has mixed a record which is usually you'll see a large console with a thousand faders and a mix engineer behind it as we've all seen in pictures and they mix it down to a stereo track so really it's it's like it's going to sound on the radio or whatnot they give it to the mastering engineer and the mastering engineer adds final eq and compression to change the overall tone we're kind of the plastic surgeons at times, you know, make an overall appearance better. We go through and we do some real precision corrections, small changes, and then uh, put it in the proper sequence, the proper order of the songs, and put it on a format that can be released, whether it's MP3s for, up, you know, for downloads or we're creating CD masters. It's a, it's a job done behind a computer in, a, in a, a hopefully a good listening environment I have at my house, which I have a studio, and it's a solitary job. Uh, which is uh, an interesting aspect to my life. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the one because I have. So yeah, and you're so the, the 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 progression, you know, was from trumpet player. Once again, why did I become a mastering engineer? What's what's the greatest motivator? Fear, <laughs> fear, <laughs> fear. I started having really bad chop problems when I was 29, so it started very early, which ended up being also a great spiritual. Propulsion, propellant uh, for my life because uh, uh, I was in a lot of pain. Let's talk about 29. Yeah. 29 is yeah. when the doctor told you you were going to die young yep. and you're having and my chop chops. problems. And my chops <laughs> basically started, but basically failed. <laughs> basically, the left side of my face started going numb, which it still is to this day. And Vinny and I share uh, numbness from diff for different reasons, but we deal with it in our playing. Uh, yeah, it was a banner year. And yet another girlfriend of mine from the early 80s, you can see how important the relationships in my life have been. They have been. They're all wound in there. Um, she gave me a book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, which I mentioned earlier. And, um, and even in, I still have it and written in the inside flap is this is, you know, I hope this is a tool, a wonderful tool for your 29th year on the planet and I needed it and I went to Maine and in solitude where my dad was from I spent some time and I read that book and I felt like when I ended Way of the Peaceful Warrior uh, I saw a way toward peace and happiness and through this very very painful and uncertain time of am I going to be able to play who am I how about just that when, yeah. the, when the trumpet goes away yeah and the health thing. Um, yeah. I mean, the great news about that is is that even though this uh, is something that you're going to be conscious of for the rest of your career and has at times reared its, uh, temporarily reared its ugly head, the mm -hmm. last bout with this, uh, with the chop stuff was, mm -hmm. uh, was kind of protracted. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, I played with you during those times and 
that the influence that you have over the people sitting mm. in the studio with you is is remarkable. And so um, that probably lends itself to putting the sparkle on a record really nice. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what it is. And that's why, yeah, how yeah. I lending up to mastering. Yeah, right. and then, mm. um, which has been a blessing for us, the real estate thing, which is yeah. so, you can tell Mike is an affable fellow to the nth degree mm. and kind and loving. And um, I remember walking into a house and being like, you know, we could rip that wall out, take all this carpet out, redo the kitchen. And Mike, uh, one of the only times he's been overtly assertive with me he said uh Vinny no we're just, we're just gonna go to the next house we'll see you and he gave me the dress and I was like but we can he's like no no come on come on very gently ushering me out the door so uh if you uh, if you're within shouting distance and you need a tr if you need two trumpet players call Mike and I uh, but if you're if you're coming to the Nashville area, there's there's none better, and uh, there it will not it will be the best experience <laughs> of your life. So tell us what your uh, what drew you to real estate. To real estate, yeah, I um I wanted to buy some real estate for myself. It was the investment piece, which you know that and this would be early two thousands. So yeah, the eighties had been mostly trumpet playing, and then the nineties were trumpet playing and mastering. But I was still having chop issues, and st you know, once you have a certain sense of uncertainty mm -hmm. with the trumpet, with the trumpet, and with life, uh, I gravitated toward being entrepreneurial and just doing different things. And it, it felt like it would be a good move with the real estate boom, uh, investment boom of the early 2000s. I read the books and got on the wagon and got ready to wanted to buy some real estate. And the man I was studying with, Hal Wilson, who's passed on, wonderful teacher. Um, suggested to me that I get my real estate license so I could have better access to the MLS and properties. And I didn't buy a piece of real estate for 12 years after that. <laughs> but I ended up, once again, you know, I became a realtor. And, and I mentioned you know, that's one of the few big decisions I made in my life. There's a handful, and becoming a realtor was a decision. I did not float into that. I chose to do it more than I chose college, more than I chose some of the biggest decisions in my life. <laughs> I chose to be a realtor. That's uh, it's pretty incredible, and I, yeah. and I love. How many people would you say you've helped with uh, with over over your oh now gosh. what fifteen year career? Fifteen years. Yeah. I you know what I have no idea. Some years have been is it's interesting because you can have great years with few clients, or you can have uh, decent years with a lot of clients. So it, depending on price points, but it's been you know a few dozen. Yeah. We've uh, let's see, we've bought and sold a, a couple, and uh, three. Yeah, three. Right. Yeah, and now we're now we're in a really beautiful place. Yeah. And but speaking of beautiful places, Nashville has been hot as balls <laughs> for for like the last couple of weeks. And today yes. it's like seventy two degrees. We're sitting in my uh, in my kitchen, and there's a breeze coming in, and and uh, boy, it just couldn't be couldn't be better. It's early this. fall in Franklin. That's what it feels like, but, but it's, it's not. It's coming back. It's Next, coming it's supposed back. To, every day is supposed to be like five degrees warmer until uh, actually hell breaks loose. <laughs> Uh, here in in, uh, in uh, Franklin again, man. Um, I guess the message that we're trying again that we're trying to convey with this is that um, I don't know what the numbers are on vegan and vegetarian, pescatarian, you know, lacto ovo and all that kind of stuff. I know that that uh, you guys are in the minority, mm -hmm. but this is a way of life and a choice that can be very gratifying from a health standpoint. 
very gratifying from a spiritual and uh, I love everybody in the world, mm-hmm. including all, all animals. Yeah. Uh, uh, point and and you can function at a very very high level. Yeah. Mike is a busy cat between trumpet and mastering and uh, being a husband and a father, yeah. um, and uh, and the real estate thing. I mean, when we were in the throes of buying a house, we were really really connected via text and telephone. When you're making an offer, you have to be there really 24 mm-hmm. seven. And then if you're in the middle of a session, you know. We need to take a little break. I need to sell it. However, that works. You know, it's just really cool. Multitasking. Mike and I are going to put together some uh, informative links. We're going to talk about all of the books that Mike has mentioned and how you can go and buy those. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll we'll see if Mike has a few favorite websites for recipes and some direction on getting started uh, with the with the vegetarian thing. we're going to take a break right now, and we're going to come back with the speed round. I have to say this has been really enjoyable. I knew most of this. Oh, let's see. One thing that I learned today that I didn't know mm-hmm. um, was back in the beginning. I'll have to listen to it again. I'll do a summary of these things. But mm-hmm. thank you so much for your time, Mike. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate yeah. you. And, and we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with the speed round. This is the Fit Musician 1. I am Vinny Shashelsky, and we'll be right back. Mike Haynes, Vinny Shashelsky, this is the fifth Musician One, Episode Five, The Speed Round. Mm. And uh, I, I usually give everybody these um, questions ahead of time. Mike said he he looked at them cursorily, but but kind of wanted to be surprised. So let's yeah. go ahead and get uh, with the first question. Um, to anybody that's listening about anything, what is your one best piece of advice? Mm. Hold all things lightly. I think that would be, and I can't remember who that quote is. Um, since Buddhism is based on non-attachment, just hold all things in this life lightly. Okay, that's a good one. Um, yeah, this is this is a hard question mm. for a lot of people. Your favorite band or artist? Oh my god! And now you can make a list. But yeah, it's like right. Where do we yeah. start? Band or artist? I'm a pop. I mean, I I love all kinds of music, but you know, I'm a pop guy. Gino Vanelli is really near the very, very top. He's always been one of the most influential musical people to me. I'm not been so heavily trumpet. That's not where my head goes musically. It's about I'm a Euro pop. I'm a commercial music kind of person. It's what I love. So, '80s groups: Go West, Nick Kershaw, Level Forty Two. um, yeah, I would say, and, but I put Gino number one. Nice, I yeah. love Gino. Yeah. Um, this can be anybody. Okay. The most influential person in your life. Oh my word! <laughs> the most influential person. What that can mean? My word! I'll I'll set my parents aside. We're yep. all so heavily influenced by our parents. Absolutely. You know, teacher-wise, it would be, I think it would be the teacher that I mentioned, Retta Sanchi Lawler, who I studied with, even though that was 30 years ago. And in the early 2000s, she ended up coming back. She moved to Boulder. We did a lot of different retreats. We would do uh, three- and four-day silent meditation retreats at our house, three or four times a year for quite a few years. So I got to spend much more time with her. But, yeah, that's um, she's made, she made a permanent, indelible 
a mark on my beingness just by being in her presence and uh, and working with her as an, as a therapist too. Awesome, great. Um, yeah. This is a two part question. Your best piece of professional gear? My computer. Okay. My computer is just—it's beyond and they, what a computer is. Mike is a Mike is a pretty serious uh, <laughs> tech. I mean, I love—I got great trauma. I love my Blackburn C. I love my horns. But man, what a what a what a home computer does that we all take for granted. Off the charts. Well, we're we're recording on one right now. <laughs> right, man, it's unbelievable. And then your best piece of athletic gear through your through your many years of that. You know, shoes. Yeah, running shoes. Good shoes. Good shoes. Yeah, I had sock in these. I remember those really worked because I'm a, I roll out. Is that supinator or pronator? Yeah. I'm one of those. But sock in these are my, I love those. Or And now trail running. Good, like, keen, good trail running shoes. So I can, taking care of the feet, I think for me that's probably, and oh. I got to love my Fitbit. I yeah. haven't worn it a lot lately, but. That's another. Health monitors are. Oh, yeah. If you're into that and it motivates you in a good oh, way. Oh, dude, yeah. It's well, amazing. And, and you're competing against yourself. You know, you're competing against, yeah. you're, you're, you want to be a better version of yourself. You know, mm -hmm. it's not, and that's the cool thing about the, about the, the smartwatches. And I have a Garmin Phoenix uh, 5X sponsorship. <laughs> um, I also want a Maserati. Right, too. right, exactly. <laughs> but it, um, it 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 will tell you everything but the uh, but the sex of your Man. next child. It's really right. incredible. I mean, it's just, amazing. Once again, amazing. Yeah. Technology. I use it as my bike computer. I jump off, I stop it, and I jump in the pool and use it to count laps in oh the my pool. Gosh. It's incredible, and amazing. it all downloads to all these really right. cool programs. It's really amazing. Strava, <laughs> Garmin Connect sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so this is the big dog. This is the question that kind of uh, we've gotten so many great answers, and I, I uh, fully anticipate yours. Um, besides being married to the lovely Gina and having the lovely Molly in your life, which I know are probably mm -hmm. two uh, the top two things uh, in your life, the, mm -hmm. uh, the most positive event of your life. Hmm. You can edit out all this silence. <laughs> it's building a sense of drama. Man, the most positive event in my life. I mean, it's like, how do you, golly. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even hardly compute in my brain. Mm -hmm. You know, Being with my father when he passed, you know, being, yeah. being there with him as he took his last breath wouldn't sound like the most positive, but positive is kind of a relative term. I was able to be there. Connectivity is positivity. I would give, that would be one, that would be one. When I took the precepts and became Buddhist, that was an amazing an ac accomplishment, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's hard to even put into words. Well, those are those are two yeah. pretty uh, pretty stellar answers yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> and again, Mike, thank you so much for your time. I, I hope that this has uh, hit a touchstone for for some of our listeners. And um, again, we'll have a, a big long list of, of uh, resources 
to help you out with uh, with this lifestyle choice. Um, Mike, I, I love you. I uh, love you too. I'm glad you're my friend. I'm glad you're in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I don't know, uh, it wouldn't be the same without you. He is, mm-hmm. uh, Mike has been my counsel and my friend mm-hmm. and my uh, my uh, musical partner and just, uh, just really wonderful. Okay, everybody, this is uh, Vinny Shashelsky. I am trying really hard to be the fit musician one, mm-hmm. and I would like all of you to go be awesome. <laughs>